have everyone with us tonight. If, um, if you're watching online, um, we're going to try something here. We're having, when I say connection issues, we're not having connection issues with the internet. We're having connection issues internally here uh, within the room and within my um, video switcher. And so I'm going to see what happens here if I pull this up. Um, hopefully it's not going to take us offline. What's on the screen behind me now? Just the title. Um, I wonder if we're still live streaming. There's only one way to figure that out, huh? Um, let's see if we're still live streaming. Praise God. Um, yeah, so uh, we are live streaming. So that's going to be a little weird tonight, but we'll, we'll make it happen, and I'll do my best to try to get those swapped over. And um, so what's happening is we're not connecting to that, so I'll go ahead and close that up. Everybody good? Yeah, everybody blessed? Okay, it's great to see you tonight. Thank you for... Um, uh, you're, uh, you know, willing to uh, submit to the people who are in authority over you and me, amen, who uh, put in some requests about a seating arrangement. And so uh, God is good, amen? All right, I am excited. Let's, uh, let's pray and we'll get started. Father, thank you for life and peace. Thank you for uh, your great love. Thank you, Father, that no weapon formed against us will prosper. Lord, we believe that everything that you have for us, Lord, has been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus and so, Father, we're, we're not looking at what we're trying to get you to do for us, Lord. We're trying to understand and embrace and believe and walk out what you have already done for us, what you've already given to us, who we've already been made and, and who we've already become in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, there's some really important truths about life and living, Lord, that uh, our enemy has tried uh, really hard our entire lives to keep us from understanding. And, and Lord, I thank you tonight that your Holy Spirit and your Holy Word is going to reveal these things to us. And, Lord, they're going to become so much a part of our, our lives and thinking, Lord, that we, that we walk them out, uh, Lord, before we even go to sleep again, Lord, before we, we uh, lay our head on a pillow tonight, Lord, we're going to begin to do these things and operate in these things in our lives. And so thank you for good things now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So for those of you who are watching online, I apologize in advance. You're, you're not going to get any of the slide overlays tonight, and uh, that's the one connection hiccup that we're dealing with. And so, but we'll work through it, and the Lord will help us. Amen. All right, so um, just real quick, like, we will not have class next Wednesday. We will not have class next Wednesday. Um, once a year, my wife and I go to a minister's conference in, uh, in Texas, and we, are, uh, we will be there next week. And so uh, I appreciate um, the opportunity to be away. It's always really good for us to kind of wall-to-wall uh, word. Uh, literally morning, uh, we take a break at lunch, a break for dinner, but it goes on into the night. And so... Um, some of my uh, all-time uh, favorite, uh, uh, my camp, my tribe, my people, uh, Brother Copeland, Brother Moore, Brother, Brother Duplantis, Brother Creflo Dollar, just all those guys will be there. And so, um, so we're very excited uh, about that. And so no class next week, but we will, of course, jump back in with class uh, 22 uh, on the 25th. And so um, class 21... Uh, and the title slide for tonight, What is Man? And we're going to continue with likeness and image. Um, let's see if this is going to work here. So man is a, uh, what is man? Man is a God-class being. Man is a spirit being. Amen. I'm trying to get the timing down because I don't have my monitor in front of me. All right. Then we said man is the legal authority on the earth. And then we started last week saying man is a being created in the image and likeness of God, which we've already kind of covered that in, in the first two, God class being spirit being Genesis 1. But what we're really trying to zero in on uh, here in, the, in this fourth point uh, involves the characteristics, attributes, abilities, things that you can do 
abilities that you possess because you've been created in the image and likeness of God. And we said, because these things exist nowhere else in creation other than in God himself and in me and you, this makes them very powerful. And we went into, uh, you know, I don't know, about maybe 10 minutes talking about how these different characteristics are both uh, dynamic and interactive. And when we say something is dynamic, that means it's, at, it's always at work, but it's also an underlying cause that produces an outward effect or an underlying cause that produces an outward change. So if you're interested in changing, and I think maybe all of us are on some level at some you know, capacity in our lives, we need to recognize how these underlying characteristics, things that as we said, are hiding in plain sight, operate seamlessly in, in our lives as, as we live each day, uh, and, and, the, and the powerful influence, the powerful impact uh, that these things uh, have uh, on our lives. Now, um, as I said last week, we're going to focus on uh, five of these characteristics and abilities, and um, man, Probably, I don't, I'm not trying to exaggerate it, but I spent multiple hours today just sorting through notes. And I told you last week that in years past, we've, we've gotten, and I say bogged down, that has a negative connotation, but we, we've kind of gotten locked in on this one point for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks because, you know, literally the Bible has so much to say about our thoughts. Uh, the Bible has so much to say about faith and believing. The Bible has so much to say about our emotions and about the power of our words. And it's, it's these characteristics and abilities that we're talking about. Uh, when, we, uh, when we talk about, uh, for instance, believe, your ability to believe, which translates into either fear or faith in our lives, um, you know, I, I have on Wednesday nights taught for a year and a half on the subject of faith. And so when I say these things are vast and the Bible has a lot to say about them, uh, I, I am not exaggerating. And one of the things that, because keep this in mind too, some of you have heard me say this before about discipleship class, things that you may hear me talk about, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes, you know, in a class somewhere else, um, we're going to try to look at every verse in the Bible on that subject in discipleship class. We're going to drill down into it and we're going to look at it extensively, exhaustively, so that you can see the whole picture as clearly as possible. Well, on some of these things, we just do not have the time to do that. And so I want to go ahead and, and, and make that, um, that disclaimer. All right. So, because we're created in the image and likeness of God, we have the ability to think, reason, and form opinions. We, we could say just we have the ability to think. And last week we talked about our free will, that we can think for ourselves, that God did not create us to be robots. He's not going to program you to think a certain way where you can only choose this and nothing else. And we explained why that is the case, and it has to do with love. For there to be love, there must be a choice. And we talked about our ability to agree. We talked about our ability to believe, our ability to experience and express emotions, and then ultimately all of these culminate and, and, and are released, so to speak, in this ability or capacity that we have um, to speak, okay? So, if you never learn, I'm going to do a little bit of review. Uh, we said last week, and if you never learn to manage your thinking and your words, you will never be able to manage your emotions, agreements, and uh, beliefs, okay? Now, because we were created in the likeness of God, we have the ability to think, reason, and form opinions. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13, 11. Did we talk about this last week? I think we did a little bit. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. All right, I see some of you nodding. Uh, and I thought we did. But this verse, I think to me, it's, it's so uh, just befitting of, of this particular subject. 
But he says here in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And so the, the, the factors here are it's impossible to live differently from the way you think, understand, and speak. If you think like a child, understand like a child, and talk like a child, you are not going to live like an adult. So if you, if you intend to live like an adult, you're going to have to learn to think like an adult thinks. You're going to have to learn to understand like an adult understands. You're going to have to learn to speak the way an adult speaks. Amen. So, you know, we talk about things that we want to change in our lives. And this is why change can seem so elusive and why change can seem so frustrating is because we try and try and try to change outward behavior without ever addressing the underlying thoughts, understandings, and then ultimately words that are producing these different behaviors in our lives that we desire to change. All right? So Satan can influence your life to the extent he can influence your thinking. Satan can influence your life to the extent he can influence your thinking. A few other things we talked about, emotions, and, and since we did cover so much about emotions last week, when we get to that hopefully a little bit later tonight, um, some of that we've already covered and maybe it won't take us quite as long to get through that particular point. But there are still a lot of things, and that was really, I, I believe, more than any other part of, of just in preparation for tonight, where I just kept, you know, um, more and more and more notes uh, added to, to the emotions part on top of what we've already covered last week, okay? So when we talk about the power of our thinking, um, you cannot change your emotions. I know folks online are wondering why I'm looking like this, okay? I'm going to try to do this right here without unplugging anything. Thank you, Lord. Everybody good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Oh, sweet Jesus. Okay, here we go. This is going to be better. Amen. All right, I can at least sort of kind of look at the camera now. Amen. Are you a creature of habit? I'm a creature of habit. You know what I'm saying? You get everything like you want it, and then it's like, okay, this is different now, and so we're trying to get used to that. So, but we're making it work. Amen? All right, if we're anything, we're flexible. Praise God. All right, so you cannot change your emotions or the choices and behavior they influence without changing your thinking. Your behavior will always line up with your thinking. Your emotions will always be a reflection of your thinking. Again, these are things that we covered um, last week. How about this? Your life experience rises and falls to the level of your thinking. Your life experience rises and falls to the level of your thinking. Now, let's look at this passage out of Proverbs 27 and uh, 19. And this is another one of those subjects that we're going to mention briefly here that I think it was, um, amen, maybe 2021 on Sundays here at Heritage, I, I preached on this subject for almost an entire year. So it is, again, a very important subject and one that the Word of God has a lot to say about. But Proverbs 27 and 19 says, As in water face reflects face, so a man's heart reveals the man. I want to give this same verse to you in a couple of different translations, all right? First of all, let's look at the NIV. As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. As a face is reflected in water, this is the God's Word translation, as a face is reflected in water, so a person is reflected by his heart. And then the Amplified gets really as, as pointed as any of these, as in water face answers to face, 
answers to and reflects face, so the heart of man to man. So what he's saying here is that your life reality is a reflection of and answers to what is in your heart. Your life reality. Now, that's a, that's a phrase that, that I use quite often in, in my teaching. And, and I do that to try and distinguish the difference between the inward realities of your new birth experience, okay, and then the outward life reality uh, that you're, when I say your life reality, that's how it is with you right now as you're experiencing life, okay? That's what I mean by life reality. And, of course, as we've already briefly covered and we'll get into in greater detail uh, in, in later classes, because you are a three-dimensional being, you are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body, your inward part can be in a state of renewal and increase while your outward part is getting older and in a state of decline. Your inward part can be free from sin while outwardly you still struggle with sin. Your inward person can be uh, prosperous and wealthy and whole and strong while outwardly you're experiencing life reality, uh, uh, you know, even maybe poverty or weakness or you know, struggles in these areas. And so I know some of you weren't here for the opening classes, but remember, one of the, one of the purposes of discipleship, even one of the ways that we define discipleship, is for the inward realities of the new birth to become outward expressions of life. So when you were born again, you became right before God in the eyes of God. You were made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that's your new identity. It's, it's who you are. So you've become and been made righteous inwardly. Discipleship is about that inward reality becoming an outward life reality. So when I say life reality, I, I do that to distinguish the difference between the reality of the inward man and the reality that we're now experiencing outwardly in, in our lives. Jesus bled a death naked on a cross to secure your eternal destination in heaven. But he also bled to death naked on a cross so that you could live every day of your life on this earth in victory. So that your outward life reality is a reflection of the inward reality of victory that you already possess and have been made. So your life reality then is a reflection of and answers to what's in your heart. And we say what's in your heart, okay? Oh, sweet Jesus. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but we need to, we need to be ahead of ourselves because we've got to get this part to... So I'm going to tell you about this and I'm going to back up, okay? So you think, well, wait a second then... Um, my heart, I'm righteous, this sort of thing, right? No, no, no. See, your heart is the combination. This is important. Your heart, I'm going to draw it for you, okay? Your heart is the combination of your spirit and your soul. Your heart is the combination of your spirit and your soul. In the Greek, heart is cardia. K-A-R-D-I-A. -A. You don't have to know Greek, and I don't know Greek. I have good resources, okay? Um, but... There's, I don't speak Greek. Amen. I know some Greek words and I have good resources to look them up, right? But you don't have to know Greek to understand cardia with a K is how we get cardiac with a C in English. But cardia, by definition, is the totality of the immaterial person. So you are a three-dimensional being. One dimension of your existence, your flesh, is material. It's matter. It's physical, right? Okay? 
But the other two dimensions of your existence, spirit and soul, these dimensions are immaterial. Amen? You can't go buy a pound of thought. You can't weigh, you know, you can consider things in your mind, but has anyone ever seen a thought? How much does a thought weigh? I'm talking about in your brain, right? These are immaterial things. But just because they're immaterial does not mean they are not real. All right? So your spirit has been born again and has been perfected forever. Hebrews 10 and 14. That's an inward reality of the new birth. Your soul, which is the part of you that thinks, feels, and chooses, your mind, emotions, and will, that's the part of you that the Bible calls your soul. That part of you is a work in progress. It's the renewing of the mind. So when we talk about the power of our thinking and our thoughts, remember what I told you at the end of last class, your behavior will always line up with what you think or believe to be true about yourself. Even if what you think or what you believe to be true about yourself is not true. So Jesus has made you free from sin. You are no longer a slave to sin. But if you still think like someone who is a slave to sin, then your life reality will reflect someone who is a slave to sin even though you have been made free from sin. Mm -mm -mm. Are you getting that? That's really, 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 really important. Okay, Like uber important. Am I going too fast? I'm kind of like, you know, it's like we started a couple minutes late and it's like I feel like I've got a you know, speeding now, you know, trying to get, get somewhere too fast. Okay, let's settle down here for just a second, all right? So let me, let me just cut to it maybe in words that, that you can better connect with, okay? Your life reality is a reflection of your self-image. The image that you have of yourself the image that you have of yourself. Now, in the same way that we are all three-dimensional beings, every one of us, and thank God we're all growing and developing and maturing, okay? But every one of us has then three images. No wonder we're confused, right? Your spirit, that's you. That's the real you. And so I call that image your true image. That's the truth. And that's how your heavenly father sees you. Okay. So you have your true image. Then we have our self image. That's the way you see yourself. And the more you learn to see yourself in light of your true image, the more that true image is going to be reflected in your life reality. The third image is the one I call your projected image. This is the one that we project to people around us. In other words, this, this is, what, if we're not careful, we, we, will, we will try to craft an image in order to present to other people how and what we want them to think about us, how we want them to think about us, how we want them to see us. Projected image, yes? Okay. Have you, and, and praise God, we're growing, amen, but have you noticed like, um, like for instance, it shocked me one day when people told me that 
that, um, that folks act differently and talk differently around me than they do other people. <laughs> I, I had no idea. I mean, they're going to be like, you didn't know that? I'm like, I had no idea. I said, Pastor, people, you know, they, they want you to think this about them. They, so, you know, project one thing around me, right? Then if I'm not around, they'll talk this way and act this way and do whatever. Well, again, to some extent, I guess we all struggle in those areas. What we want people to think about us. and Amen. Religion's big on that now. Remember what they asked Jesus, who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus wasn't trying to make himself out to be anything. He was learning how and walking in who God made him to be. Amen? So true image, self-image, projected image. Your life reality is going to be a reflection of your self-image. Even if the image you have of yourself does not mirror the image that God has of you. Amen? And that's what he's talking about here in Proverbs 27. You know, they didn't have mirrors in their day. Um, but you could look into a still body of water and see a reflection of yourself. And he said in the same way, when you look in that mirror and you see a reflection of your face, your life reality is a reflection of how you think in your heart. I sometimes do this. I don't have it with me tonight. But I, I literally like to make the point, I hold up a mirror and look at it. And, and, and then I start trying to put chapstick on my lips in the mirror. That's what a lot of people try to do. They're trying to, they're trying to change their life reality by changing the, the reflection instead of what's being reflected. Amen. Amen. So when it says answers to, your life reality is a reflection of and answers to. Answers to literally means is a servant of. Your life reality is a reflection of and servant to what is in your heart. Now, your spirit is the real you and therefore determines your potential and determines what you are capable of accomplishing. But your thinking has the power to limit the potential that you possess as a child of God. This is what I call aptitude versus attitude. And let me over uh, pronounce so that those who can't see the screen understand what I'm saying. Aptitude, A-P-T, aptitude versus attitude. And so here's the simple example. Probably no one in this room, but I bet you know someone who had the aptitude to be a straight-A student, but because of their attitude, they made C's and D's. See what I'm saying? Aptitude is inherent ability. Attitude has to do with a mindset that either goes along with or is in contradiction to that inherent ability. Your aptitude as a son and daughter of God, your aptitude, your inherent ability as the body of Christ, as defined by Jesus in John chapter 14, the works that He did, you can do also, and even greater works, because He is going to return to His Father's right hand. That's your aptitude. I like to say it this way. You're but a renewed mind away from doing the works of Jesus. So we don't see ourselves that way yet. Come on now. 
Amen or oh me? Y'all still with me? Am I coming on too strong tonight? Okay. All right. So discipleship then closes the gap between your true potential and your realized potential. And thinking has more to do with that than anything else. When I say thinking, obviously if you're not born again, then you don't have that potential within you. But the Bible says this, for example, in Romans 8, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you and me. Amen. So when we talk about the inward realities of the new birth, these are all the things that determine your inherent ability, your potential. Potential is just simply what you're capable of but have not done yet. What you, are you following what I'm saying? What, what, you, what you have in you but, but not yet realized is the untapped potential. Well, what, what limits that? What prevents us from, from, from breaking through uh, and, and realizing uh, more and more of the potential that's within us? It's the limits that our own thinking place on that potential. Amen? Praise God. So thinking has more to do with that than anything else. Amen. All right. We may come back to a couple more comments on that, but let's, let's go on to this next one here, all right? So because we're creating the image and likeness of God, we have the ability to, and as we've already said, um, think, reason, and form opinions. The second one is, is an extension of this, and that is our ability to agree. Our ability to agree. And let me just give you a couple of verses on agreement. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 19, Jesus speaking, again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Do you see how powerful agreement is? Here's one out of, out of the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 11 and verse number 6. And the Lord said, indeed the people are one and they all have one language and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. This, if you're familiar with the story, was when they were determined to build a tower to the heavens. You look at some of the things that human beings have accomplished coming together with a common goal in, in agreement, like-mindedness. The, the kind of low-hanging fruit as an example of that would be putting a man on the moon. It's a pretty phenomenal accomplishment. And so this power of agreement, though, is, is more than just physical or natural. And what I mean by that is, you know, you, you have this, this concept that is both spiritual and first and then natural second, and it's the, uh, the, the concept of synergy. In, in, in the Greek, it's with a U instead of a Y, synergio. And the idea behind synergy is if you can do three units of work and I can do two units of work, working together, we can produce more than the sum of our individual efforts. If you can do three units and I can do two units working together, we might could pull off seven. Are you, are you seeing? Because that, that's, the, that's the physical both and spiritual uh, power of, of synergy. And, of course, synergy is dependent upon agreement. So when we talk about agreement and people working together to accomplish physical things, yes, indeed. But it is simply a, a, a physical, natural uh, fruit of something that is first and foremost spiritual. 
Here is a verse we don't find agreement in it, but it's, it's referring to agreement. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God, resist the devil, and the devil will do what? He will flee from you. He will flee from you. So the, the idea here is that, that Satan is, is constantly trying to, to tempt us and deceive us and manipulate us into submitting ourselves to him and resisting God. Now you've heard me say this before. I'm going to say it again, and I'll say it probably more tonight and more in the future, okay? The best advice. I'm going to see if anybody knows the answer to this question. Anybody know the best advice you could ever give anybody, according to Pastor Mark? Agree with God and agree with Him quickly. Agree with God and agree with Him quickly. What if I was to tell you that every second of suffering that's ever been experienced on planet Earth has its roots in one thing, Adam and Eve disagreeing with God. Adam and Eve choosing to do something other than what God had instructed them to do. So agree with God and agree with Him quickly. Now, we're going to transition over into number three. But before we do that, let me, let me show you this one passage here. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number one. It says, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Obviously, this verse is talking about believing and, and faith and believing God. But it's also implying that there are other reports from people and from this world that are contradicting what God has said. In other words, God has said it is this way and should be done this way, and this is, who it, this is how it is because He says it this way. But other reports are saying, no, it's not that way at all. It's more like this, and instead of it being that, it's this. And so the question is, who has believed our report? And so... Think about what he's saying here. Who has believed our report? Do you see how agreement is a factor? in Whose, whose report do you agree with? You're not going to believe the report that you don't agree with. So agreement is a critical uh, a factor in our ability to believe. There's another obvious, if it's pointed out to you and you recognize it, but a lot of people miss it, uh, an obvious truth in this verse who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord is revealed to those who believe the report of the Lord. Are you following me? When you believe what God said about your situation, that's when you see the arm of the Lord intervene in your situation. Believing what God says about it is how we activate God's power in our circumstances and situations. All right, this keeps popping up in my spirit, so i gotta go, I got to go back. Thank you, Lord. Some of you have heard me talk about, <clears throat> I guess it's been about four, maybe five years ago now. Let's see, 2015, no, <laughs> seven years ago now, I guess. Praise God. Um, that may be a little, anyway, it doesn't matter when, some time ago. But it's a question that is, is on the forefront of, of, of my mind uh, uh, a lot, amen, both for myself and for other people. The Lord asked me this question. He said, don't you want to know what's on the other side of the wall you keep hitting? Don't you want to know what's on the other side of the wall you keep hitting? Can anybody relate to hitting a wall? 
like where you, you go so far, you, you reach certain levels of success and certain levels of accomplishment and certain levels of growth and maturity, but then it's like you hit a wall, you hit a ceiling, and, and, and then you either kind of linger there for a little while and start you know, backing up, and then you go make another run at it, make another run at it, make another run at it. If you've ever put the same thing on a New Year's resolution list multiple years in a row, then you know what I'm talking about, okay? Here is what I have come to believe the wall is, or the wall to be. Are you ready? It's your self-image. It's your, that's the limit, right? It's, 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 it's how we see ourselves, what we believe to be true about ourselves, is what ultimately sets the limit because God is not limiting us as far as what we can do for him and, and, and as his representatives. It's our own mindsets, attitudes, and ultimately the image that we have of ourselves. Amen. All right. So because we, let's move on. Because we are created in the image and likeness of God, we have the ability to think, reason, and form opinions. Number two, we have the ability to agree. And then number three, we'll spend a minute on this one. We have the ability to believe. We have the ability to believe. And our first and key verse for this section is Mark chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. The context here is a man who was wanting healing and deliverance for his son. And he, in desperation, says to Jesus, If you can do anything, do something to help my son. And Jesus looked him straight in the face and said, because it's not about if Jesus can do. It's about if we can believe. Jesus said, if you can believe, not if he can do it, or even if he is willing to do it. The scriptures are very clear. God is able and God is willing. So it comes down to a matter of if we can believe. And so Jesus wasn't rebuking this man. Jesus wasn't... Um, you know, somehow trying to embarrass this man, he was helping him. He was showing him what, what was needed. And so this is when the man, I think, Holy Spirit inspired, right, him to say, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. So when we talk about, let's go back now, because we said that our ability to believe can either be, uh, and our ability to agree, all of these things, they can either be working for us or against us, because they're always at work, Okay, they're, they're going to work when we're thinking right and they're going to work when we're thinking wrong. Okay, they're going to work when we're believing what God says about us and, and living our lives as a reflection of that. And it's going to work when we believe what our past and our mistakes and our, and our former reputation says about us. So we said that because these things, again, are so powerful, they're, they're, they're either working in our favor or, or working against us. And so how powerful is your ability to believe? Your ability to believe is so powerful that if you can believe it, nothing will be impossible for you. I mean, there's no limit. Man, that's amazing, isn't it? Let's, let's look at it a little closer. 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. Thank you, Lord. It says this, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Anybody in here born of God? Anybody been born again? All right. So he says, born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. You got to pay close attention to the way the verb tenses are here. 1 John 4, 4 says, you have overcome. 
You go, what, 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 what? Have overcome? Amen. You have overcome. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but uh, he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let me kind of break this verse down for you in very easy to understand words, okay? He is literally saying that there is nothing that you will ever face in life that you cannot overcome by faith. There is no obstacle, there is no challenge, there is no difficulty, there is no diagnosis, there is no hardship, there is no circumstance that you cannot rise above and overcome or move out of your way altogether if you will learn how to operate by faith. I refer to faith in our hearts and the ability to believe that gives us the ability to operate in faith. I refer to it as the MVP of, of, of these uh, different characteristics and abilities. And I use the example of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. When he was there in his heyday with the Chicago Bulls, they were winning world championships. When he decided to come to Birmingham and play baseball, not so much. When he went back to the Birmingham, uh, when he went back, left Birmingham and went back to Chicago, they won again. So we could say that he is a solid MVP. He was a difference maker. Now let me say this backwards, not to offend you, but just to try to make the point, all right? Any area of your life that you want to continue to fail and lose and miss out in, just keep leaving faith out of that area of your life. But any area of your life that you want to be successful in, any area of your life that you want to overcome and, and be victorious in, you've got to learn how to get faith involved in that area of your life. You've got to learn how to be married by faith. You've got to learn how to parent by faith. You've got to learn how to do business by faith. You've got to learn how to manage money by faith. You've got to learn how to live free by faith. Are you understand what I'm saying? Faith is the difference maker. He says, those who are born of God have overcome the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith. So does those affirmations and stuff, does that help build the faith? Faith by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Confessing it out of our mouths. Absolutely. Like that sword of the spirit that we talked about. Perfect point. All right. Now, let's, um, let's look at this uh, a little closer. All right. So, <clears throat> Romans chapter 10 Verses 8 and 9. The Bible says this, But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So here we have your ability to speak joined together with your ability to believe. And notice utilizing these two abilities enables a man or a woman to be born again, to access salvation. You believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. Here is another passage, okay? Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. We're going to be talking about this one perhaps in the evening service here at Heritage tonight, but it's in the notes for the class as well. If you're not familiar with this verse, I would ask you to become, become familiar with it. It says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. For we walk by faith... Not by sight. Just curious, who's, who's ever heard this verse before? Anybody? Y'all heard this before? Okay, good. Most everybody in the room, all right? I want to try to help you understand what he's saying here. This, this expression, to walk by, the, the Bible breaks down your daily life, moment by moment, to consider 
it in, in a step-by-step. We even see this, if you've ever read, especially in King James Version, they say, for you know my conversation among the Jews, for example. This is something that the Apostle Paul said. So in this particular aspect, he's breaking down his life, not just to you know, each step that he takes through life, but each word that he speaks as he's going through life. Because this is where your life is unfolding. This is the, you know, we use this idea of the, of the cutting edge, you know, where, where the rubber's meeting the road. It's meeting the road in your thoughts, your agreements, your beliefs, your emotions, and, and your words. So when he says walk by faith, he's talking about uh, your daily life, your daily walk of life. And, and so I think a lot of people have this idea of faith as something that we turn to in a moment of crisis. I, I use the example of, you know, somebody finds themselves, you know, with some kind of serious issue or some kind of diagnosis or something like that. And now they are scrambling around like they're looking for change under the sofa cushions to try and get some faith together and other people's faith. Because we, we've got a crisis now and it's time to shift over into faith mode. My friend, we are to learn how to live every day of our lives by faith, to walk every step by faith, and to even speak every word by faith, as opposed to how most people on planet Earth, even most of God's people on planet Earth, are living their lives on a step-by-step, moment-by-moment, word-by-word basis. And that is by sight. So what would it mean then to live by sight Instead of living by faith, people who live by sight, are you ready? People who live by sight live their lives based upon the way things look, the way things seem, and the way things feel. You live your life based upon how it looks, how it seems, and how it feels. And if we choose to continue to live our lives based upon how it looks, how it seems, and how it feels, Satan will continue to have a field day with you because he can manipulate how things look, how things seem, and how things feel. Isn't it amazing? You know, everybody talks about, I don't believe it unless I can see it. Like our eyes have never been deceived before. Like our eyes are just so reliable and our feelings are so reliable and our thoughts are so reliable that we can live our lives putting our absolute trust in the way things look and the way things seem and the way things feel. How many things today have seemed one way and turned out to be another? How many things today have felt one way and turned out to be another? Are you you following what I'm saying here? But we've been, we've been so lulled into this pattern of life and, and, and we've been so conditioned to approach life from this perspective of, of living and walking our, out our daily lives based upon the way things look, seem, and feel. So if that's what it means to walk by sight and we're told to not do that, what does it mean to walk by faith? Walk by faith walking by faith means to live your life according to what God says is true. What God says is true. Because what God says is true is, is, is going to contradict the way things look, seem, and feel. Amen? All right. Let's go to this one. Romans 12 and 3. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 3. He says, For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, 
according as God has dealt to every man, every person, the measure of faith. Let's talk about the first part of this verse, and we've covered this already in previous classes. But he goes on to explain what it means to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Far too many people hear this verse and they argue against the teaching that me and others and a lot of people in the body of Christ present about having the right self-image. Because they think this verse says you should think lowly or poorly of yourself. That's not what he said. This verse actually is telling you to think highly of yourself. Do you realize that? This verse is telling you, you think highly of yourself, just not more highly than you ought. And he goes on to explain, one who thinks more highly of himself or herself than they ought are people who think they can fulfill their God-given purpose and destiny on planet Earth without working together with other people. He goes on to explain that we are the body of Christ and members individually. He goes on to explain that as important as a member of the body is, if that member doesn't work together with the other members, that individual member will never fulfill its individual destiny. So to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think is to think that you can do it without other people or, God forbid, to think that you can do it without God. And what connects us to God? Faith. What connects us with other people? We could say faith, but a version of that is trust. The only way you're ever going to work together with other people in the body of Christ that God has put in your life to help you fulfill your purpose and destiny and you help them fulfill theirs is if you trust them. So do you see why Satan starts when we are very young, even before we realize we're alive on planet Earth? You know, those first few years, you just kind of wake up, you know, around four or five years old, right? It's like, hey, here we are, you know. He starts before you know you're here trying to undermine your ability to trust people and to trust God. I would imagine in this room and, 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 and people who are watching me right now, there are folks who had very poor, very pitiful examples of earthly fathers. It's one of Satan's strategies. He's trying to, to damage your understanding of, of, of what a father is supposed to be because who is our father? God is our father, right? And when we have poor examples of earthly fathers, Satan is trying to use that to, to pervert our minds and condition our minds to think incorrectly about our heavenly father. For I say through the grace given unto me uh, to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Soberly here doesn't just mean the absence of drugs and alcohol. Soberly here has to do with being salvation-minded. To be salvation-minded. Meaning to think in light of who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. To see yourself according to the person that God made you through the new birth as opposed to um, the life that you've lived and the, the balance sheet of your successes and failures. And then he goes on to say, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Along with our being born with the ability to believe, God has deposited within every human being the measure of faith. The measure of faith. Faith is a spiritual substance. Listen to me now. We're going to go a little deeper with some of this. Can you go with me? Yeah? 
Faith is a spiritual substance. You can measure it. If it can be measured, then it's substance. If you've ever gone to your neighbor's house and borrowed a cup of sugar, sugar is something that can be measured. You got a measure of sugar. You got a half cup because your mama was a half cup short for the sweet tea or whatever, okay? So in the same way that material things can be measured, faith is a spiritual substance that can be measured. And Father God has given to every human being the measure of faith. I say it is the baby gift that He gave to all of us. So even people who say there is no God, they actually have the measure of faith inside of them that they need to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. It's just that that measure of faith is lying within them dormant. Now here's another verse that you need to understand alongside this one. That's Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Do y'all see me trying to change it with my finger? This is not a touch screen. My, my iPad is, okay? Amen. All right, here we go. Romans 10 and 17. If you're not familiar with this verse, you need to be, okay? So then faith comes, King James says, cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now, I don't have a problem with comes or cometh as long as you recognize in your Bible that that word is in italics. Comes or cometh is in italics which means it was not in the original text. It was added by the translators for readability. It makes it easier to read by putting comes or cometh in the passage. There are those who teach that you have to hear the Word of God and then faith comes out of nowhere to you. I do not believe that is in alignment with Scripture. I believe what we see instead is that God has given to every person the measure of faith, which is a spiritual substance. Jesus said in John chapter 16 that the words that He speaks, John chapter 6, John chapter 6, the words that He speaks, they are spirit and they are life. So the Word of God then, although we have it in physical form, remember His words are living and powerful. The Word of God is living and powerful. And so when the Word of God is spoken with the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon it, it activates the faith that already resides in a person's heart, in a person's uh, spirit, in their, in their very being. And it causes that faith to begin to awaken. It causes that faith to, to, to arouse and, and come to the surface. Faith by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. This is really cool. And let, let me try to give you some practical uh, ways to connect with what I'm talking about. And here, here's one example. My mother was actually talking about this the other day, okay? I could just shut this down right now and swap over to teaching you about fasting from the Word of God. And I could begin to share with you what the Bible has to say about fasting, the benefits of fasting, the health benefits of fasting, the spiritual benefits of fasting, the mental and emotional benefits of fasting, how fasting uh, shuts down the flesh and ramps up the spirit and alters the balance of power between your flesh and your spirit and sharpens you and enables you to hear more clearly from heaven and all these other things, right? And so what's going to happen as I do that, faith to fast is going to begin to rise up in you right? 
My mother was talking about this the other day. She, she heard one of these sermons and she just decided, I'm not eating for seven days. I'm not drinking anything. She didn't know, right, that when we talk about not eating or drinking water for that long, it, you you got to be called of God to do that. It's got to be a supernatural thing. It's not just something you... D- now, you can go seven days without food. You can't go that long without water without supernatural uh, sustaining, okay? Um, but what happened? She heard the teaching and the men, and faith rose up in her to follow through on, on that and actually fast. Can, you, can anybody relate to what I'm talking about here? Uh, the same is true. That's why, and I, I know some folks disagree with this approach, but I believe it's biblical. Anytime, I, and we've been teaching on giving and receiving and finances here on Sunday mornings at Heritage for, for started end of last year. It's carrying over in the beginning of this year, okay? But I take up the offering for that Sunday morning first and then teach about giving and receiving. Because I, I'm, I'm not trying to stir everybody up and get them all motivated. Oh, okay, man, let's start writing checks. We, you know, no. The Bible says, let each one give as he or she purposes in in their heart, his or her heart, to do it. And so I'm not I'm not trying to manipulate people, uh, you know, and try to get them to in in the in a moment, you know, make a financial decision um, that that you know is not one they've purposed literally and in, in fully in their heart to make. Amen. Are you still with me? All right. So here, here's another uh, classic example of this, okay? Um, I was, uh, before we had the first service uh, at Heritage Christian Center, June the 6th, 1998, that was a Sunday, first Sunday in June, 1998. It was in the showroom of my cabinet shop, I don't know, three or four blocks behind me, directly behind me, streets over in an industrial park there. Before we had that first service, we had a, a, a service at the Bessemer City Jail, and then we came back up and, and had the first service there at Heritage. And we did that for some years. Um, and then even after we started having, I had more obligations here, uh, my brother and others continue to do that. We do not do that anymore. It's just things, administration change and, and what have you, okay? But um, in the early days of jail ministry at Bessemer City Jail, um, the jailer was a very vocal believer and because he was the man in charge, he made every uh, person that was incarcerated on that Sunday morning get out of their bunk and come to service. Which, to be honest with you, I, I really was not in favor of. Because I, I, you know, I wanted people who wanted to be in there to come. And you, know, you got these guys that were you know, rested 4 in the morning. Now, now here we are at 7.30 in the morning. And they're hungover and they're mad and, they're, and they don't want to come to church. They don't care nothing about it, right? But anyway, that jailer didn't care. They were all coming. And it wasn't a very big room. And they locked the door behind us. And anyway, um, it was funny, too, because I had my big brother with me. I had no idea till, till later that he was actually a little bit intimidated by it. You know, I'm thinking, oh, I got Matt with me. I'm fine. You know, I didn't know he was a little wigged out about it. You know, and that door, you know, closed behind you. Okay. So, so <clears throat> there was this one guy. That uh, and some of you heard me tell the story before, but it's, man, I'll never forget it. I, it's just one of those things. It's just so illustrated what I'm trying to, to 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 present to you right now. He um he did not want to come to church, and so in protest, he came in his whitey tidies. Okay, <laughs> and that's all he had on. All right, and and um. I'm not trying to, you know, be be salacious or, or anything like this, but this guy could have been an underwear model. I'm talking about he was ripped, six pack. I mean, he was he was built, and uh, he was an African American uh, brother, and and real light skin, and because he was resisting coming, 
Guess where the only seat available was for him? <laughs> Front row. I mean, like this far, you know, this, this far, you know, because we're like against the wall and they're like right there. And, um, and so he's there, man. He's mad. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, Lord Jesus, thank you for angels protecting me, right? And so, you know, we begin to sing, different people share their testimony, and, you know, we try not to just come in there just pounding the Bible, you know. And, um, and I start to, to share from the Word about the love of God, and, and all of a sudden tears begin to run out of his eyes, and I'll never forget it. They were landing on his chest muscles and running down his chest, and it was making him mad. I mean, he was trying to wipe. He didn't want anybody to see him wiping tears. And he had his head down. He'd wipe the tear on this side and fall on this side. He'd wipe it off his chest. And, you know, I mean, it, it, you know, I could tell, like, man, this is agitating him. But what was happening? That measure of faith inside of him was reacting with the truth from the Word of God. We, we, we partner with a, a husband and wife duo that, um, amen, I, Jerry and Marilyn Odell, they are, anyway, I, I, got, I got emotional the other day because they, they, since COVID, they haven't traveled. They used to come to Heritage a couple of times a year, um, and I want my grandchildren to know them, and um, if they're watching tonight, you know that, Brother Jerry, amen, and so um, they live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, just in India alone, um, and this count is an old count, 13 million people that they've won to Jesus. Um, there are those, and she'd get me for saying this, but there are people who say, and I believe it's true, that Marilyn Odell has preached face-to-face with more human beings than any woman in history. Okay. Um, and their heartbeat is to reach people in the world who have never heard the name of Jesus a single time, which that's kind of hard for us to even imagine. Um, my children were on a missions trip with, with one of their uh, understudies, a, a gentleman that, that they had trained, and they witnessed this firsthand when they were inviting people to come to an open-air meeting that evening, and they were handing out flyers, and they turned around to the speaker that night, and they said, is this the Jesus you're talking about? It's a picture of a friend of mine. <laughs> no, no, that's not him. They not, they've never heard his name. Now, here's the thing about those people. They're hard to reach. Thank God for Christian television. These people don't have televisions hanging in their mud huts. Are you, are you, are you sure what I'm saying? They're, they're, they're very difficult to reach. And... <clears throat> In India, here, here's, here's a classic example, okay. In India, they, there was a, uh, let's just, I'm trying to have to be careful here. I'm not trying to get about There's things I know that I'm not supposed to talk openly about. But anyway, um, <clears throat> he shared this, so I'm not violating anything. But um, they took him to court to try to stop them from preaching the gospel. And this is what, the man said to the judge, Judge, these two will go up in those mountains and tell people about Jesus and they will convert to Christianity by the thousands. You know what Jerry O'Dell said? He goes, that man has more faith in the gospel message than a lot of Christians do. 
Why will they convert by the thousands? Is it because they're so persuasive? Is it because they've got, you know, a brilliant uh, white, you know, what's that, teeth whitening smiles? <laughs> no. The power's in the message, and the faith is in the people. And when the people hear the message, the faith to respond to the message rises up in them. King Agrippa, anybody familiar with him in the book of Acts? Paul had been arrested, and, and um, they were, you know, trying to execute him and wouldn't listen to him. And so finally he said, I appeal to Caesar because he was a Roman citizen. He had the right to do that. And his long journey to get to Caesar had a lot of different issues involved. And along the way, um, <clears throat> he was being held. And, and um, oh, this may have actually been even before the journey started. I think it's Act maybe 16. Anyway, that's fine. I got this somewhere in my notes. Let me just talk to you about it, can I? Um, and so... Uh, Agrippa, who's king, if you understand how the Romans worked, um, it, the Romans would come in and conquer a people, but they conquered more territory than they could really effectively govern. And so they had this strategy of that they would leave to the best of their ability the government in place. So that's why you have um, a Herod and a, and a Pilate, <laughs> a Roman governor. You think, well, a king... Uh, it outranks a governor. No, he doesn't. Okay, it was a Roman governor, uh, an, uh, a Jewish king, but the Roman governor outranked the Jewish king, so make no mistake about that, all right? And so King Agrippa, he comes to town, and the Roman governor says, you know, we got this prisoner, and, you know, I don't understand everything there is about all this God and Jehovah and Jewish. And, I, and King Agrippa says, oh, I've heard about him. I, I would like to interview him myself. I'd like to question him myself. Because he was kind of hoping that Paul would do some trick for him or something, you know. And so he's like, you know, comes in with all his pomp and, you know, you know, King comes in, sits down, they bring Paul out. And Paul begins to share his testimony with him. He begins to share the Word of God with him from the Old Testament that King Agrippa knew about how the Old Testament re revealed Jesus. And finally, King Agrippa says, <clears throat> y'all need to get this man out of here. And on his way out, this is what King Agrippa said. He said, Paul, you almost persuaded me to become a Christian. What happened? Word of God. Truth. Reacting with the measure of faith in Agrippa's heart. Now, what did he do? He didn't act on it. See, you've got, when that faith rises up, you've got to act. You've got to believe and confess. You've got to, you've got to make a move, right? And King Agrippa came to that point, but he stepped back from it. I hope later in life that he followed through. So we're talking about the measure of faith. Are you with me now? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, it says, Now abides faith, hope, and love, these three. The greatest of these is Love. Amen? I'll mention this briefly, okay, but these three things abiding together means that they stand together, they work together, they are part of a three-part system that produces results together. And this is where we could literally spend a whole class explaining how these things interact with one another Genuine faith provides the foundation for confident expectation, also known as hope. The Bible says that faith in your heart is energized by your actions of love. Faith works by love. Faith is the substance of things 
hope for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith, hope, and love. And I talk about this uh, in, in my book, Becoming a Threat to Addiction. There's a whole chapter uh, on this and how these things stand together, work together, produce results together. So do you see why Satan has tried your entire life to get you as far away from faith, hope, and love as he can and get you instead living your life according to fear instead of faith, regret instead of hope, and selfishness instead of love. Fear, regret, and selfishness as opposed to faith, hope, and love. Amen. So let's talk then for a moment because we can't, we can't talk about our ability to believe without talking about both faith and fear. Because fear is actually your ability to believe working against you. Fear is your ability to believe working against you. You may have never heard it explained that way before, but that is exactly what it is. Your ability to believe, I mean, you believe that chair would support you when you sat down in it. You, in other words, we believe, believe is a part of every aspect of our lives. But when we talk specifically about our ability to believe, where it translates over into, you know, either advancing you and producing results, positive results and victory in your life, or holding you back and producing negative results in your life is whether that ability to believe manifests itself, uh, you know, in grabbing hold of something God has said and, and faith or if it manifests in your life as fear. So let me try to explain to you why fear is your ability to believe working against you. If you are afraid of a snake, now a lot of people are, some people aren't. It's kind of interesting, over the years, as, you know, the different times that I've taught this, this one part just kind of irritates people, or not everybody, but some folks kind of, you know, I've had a lot of, I've even had people interrupt me. Well, what about, you know, just hear me out and just, spirit, not the letter. Amen? Spirit, not the letter. Watch this, okay? I'm going to try to help you. If you're afraid of a snake, it's because you believe the snake has the ability to hurt you. Do you see how at the, at the heart of the fear is you believing something? If you, if you are afraid of a snake, it's because you believe the snake has the power to hurt you. And if that is what you believe, it will be reflected in your actions whether the snake has the power to hurt you or not. You've probably seen it on TV. Maybe some of you have seen it in real life. You ever seen a grown man freak out over a mouse? Jump up in a chair on YouTube? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like the thing's that big. What's the deal, right? He is... He is afraid of that mouse. Is, is that reasonable? Is that logical? Is it rational? No. He could stomp that mouse in, 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 into a greasy spot. But why is he reacting in fear? Why is he screaming? Why is he jumping up in a chair or on the sofa or responding that way? It's because in his mind, he believes that mouse can hurt him. If you're afraid... And if you struggle with fear, and a lot of people do, the Bible says fear has torment. You must look at what is, what are you believing that's producing 
the fear in your life. Now let's look at this. Hebrews 2, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Amen. Are y'all getting anything out of tonight? Okay, all right. Um, I think I'm finally getting settled down after the whole technological hiccup here. So um, anyway, praise God. I hope the folks online are, um, are doing well with it as well. Okay. All right. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. It says, Inasmuch then, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, speaking of Jesus, likewise shared in the same. It's just a really poetic way of saying Jesus became a human being. That through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Okay? So a fear of death causes someone to be subject to bondage. Now, let's talk about what that means, but, but before we do that, let's talk about why that's important. If someone is bound, right, think, think of being enslaved to something or enslaved by something. Enslaved by fear, enslaved by worry, enslaved by some addiction, some uh, lust of the flesh, some uh, seemingly uncontrollable desire, what, what have you, okay? All of these things that, that produce enslavement bondage in a person's life that's holding them back, that's preventing them from, from breaking through and being who God created them to be, doing what God called them to do. There are preachers and teachers in this room who are afraid to get up in front of people. You know how I know that? I was one of them. If you saw me, especially in middle school, I had to be the most backwards, bashful, shy person in my middle school, and for that matter, really middle of my junior year was when the Lord finally helped me get beyond some of that. People, people see me now in front of folks and they, they laugh, they think, yeah, right, I'm telling you. People who ask my mama. <laughs> All right, so <clears throat> fear, and that was bondage, by the way. See, it was, it was fear made me subject to being bound. Subject to bondage means predisposed. Do you understand what it means to be predisposed to something? Or to lean in the direction of. As long as there is fear, there is a crack in the door that would lead to bondage or even lead to relapse. That's why I believe any recovery program that's worth its salt is going to help people learn how to live by faith and overcome fear. Because what does fear do? Fear predisposes us to being bound. Now, watch this. There's a, there's a verse that coincides with this. Romans 8 and 15. 
It says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. So here we see another verse that, that, that shows us a relationship between, a connection between bondage and fear. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but, but what did we receive? We received, who did we receive? The spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That's the inward reality. We'll get to the verse in a minute, but God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. But what? One of power, love, and a sound mind. That's the inward reality. That's the inward reality. Now, when we start talking about the spirit of something, obviously, we're talking about Holy Spirit. We're talking about human spirit. We're talking about angelic spirits. We're talking about demonic spirits. But there's also another use for this word spirit. And that would be like any, any Marines. No, I'm raising my hand, not because I am. My dad is. Any Marines in the building? Anybody know a Marine? Okay. Uh, Spree de corps. Anybody ever heard that one? Spirit of the corps. What is that? That's how uh, a Marine carries himself or herself. Spree de corps, the spirit of the corps. So we're talking about both a literal spirit being, but also a mindset that would produce the same results in a person's life, a mindset of fear, an attitude of fear. So we did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear, but we've received the spirit of adoption, which is literally God drawing a circle around you and saying, she's mine, he's mine. And this spirit inside of us is crying out from the deepest level of our being, calling God our Father. And Abba is a term of endearment similar to Daddy or Dad in the English. Now, I want you to see the vicious cycle that fear and bondage is trying to develop in a person's life. Because we see that fear leads to bondage, which leads to more fear, which leads to greater bondage, which leads to more fear, which leads to greater bondage, which leads to more fear, which leads to greater bondage. Yes? I'm sure no one in this room, but maybe you have tried to help someone in addiction who had has become so paranoid right I mean, I've literally gone to people's houses before and they're like hiding behind the sofa looking out the blinds so fear leads to bondage which leads to more fear which leads to greater bondage which leads to greater fear which leads to even greater bondage I have seen it also so many times over the years where people make the mistake of trying to break the cycle by breaking the addictive behavior while ignoring the fear that's driving it. It's like, man, I got, I got, this, I got this addiction problem. I got, I got, I got to fix it. Well, it started, with this, it started with fear. And as long as the fear remains... It's going to be predisposed to go right back 
to the coping mechanism that is the bondage. Amen or on me? Now, when we talk about fear, another thing that I have encountered over the years from experience is that, you know, people either deny or don't realize how much fear they actually deal with and are experiencing in their lives. The worship director says during the middle of a worship song, I want everybody to raise your hands. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I wasn't raised that way. I don't, I don't worship God that way. That's, that's not my personality. That's not, you know, we start making all these excuses, but, but the bottom line of it is you're afraid. You're afraid. Let me, let me tell you how the devil operates in this. He, by the way, the, the devil always tries to control the narrative. He always tries to, um, you know, take, uh, for example, I'm, I'm not going to get political on you, but this is to me, okay? The devil doesn't call an abortion clinic an abortion clinic. He calls it a family planning center. Getting quiet up in here. And the devil doesn't call fear, fear. He likes to put designer words on it. Stress. Anxiety. Worry. Do you realize how many mothers think that if they're not worrying about their kids, they're not doing their job? That somehow worries. That's what a mother's supposed to do. No, it's not. It's fear. You're afraid of what might happen. You're meditating on negative outcomes. Fear has torment, the Bible says. And anxiety is fear. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. God wants you to be a powerful person. Not, not overbearing, not obnoxious, not... Um, do you, do you, let me ask you this. And I'm going to ask you to name any names or even look in anybody's direction. But I pray that you have powerful people in your life. And you understand what I mean by that? That you recognize, man, that, that sister right there, she knows what time it is. She, she, she ain't moved by all this. I mean, Paul said, none of these things move me. He's a powerful person. Jesus said later of John the Baptist, people went out to, they heard about him and went out to see him and they were shocked by what they found. Because up, you know, that generation, their understanding of a, of a, of a of a religious leader, a spiritual leader, right, was, you know, one dressed in silk garments and, you know, walking around with his nose up in the air and all sort of stuff. Man, they go out in the wilderness, there's John eating, eating bugs and honey and, and um, or locusts, really like a seed, I should say, seeds and honey and, and dressed in camel skin 
And, uh, and he's a powerful man. When the Roman soldiers come out there to be baptized, they said, what do we need to do? He says, you need to quit complaining about your pay. It's a powerful man. And Jesus said this later. He said, what did you go out there expecting to see? Another reed blowing in the wind? No, he was an oak. He wasn't. Amen. This world needs some oaks for Jesus. Some powerful men and women. Again, I'm not talking about judgmental. I'm not talking about bombastic, obnoxious, overbearing. I'm just talking about folks that, that have roots and are established. And that's the kind of spirit God's put in you. Not one of fear, not one of intimidation, but one of power, one of love, and of a sound mind. All right, let's see if we can finish this part right here. I don't know if we'll have time, but we'll try. Psalm 34, 4. Amen. Psalm 34, 4. We're just kind of, if you've noticed, we're kind of hitting stuff and hitting stuff and hitting stuff because there's just so much of it here, okay? Psalm 34, 4. It says this, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. You say that with an S, plural, fears. Fears. I want to finish uh, tonight's class talking about uh, the five fears common to man, okay? All right? So I'll put them up on the screen for you. Five fears common to man. And you could make, it, make a list for maybe a couple more or combine some of these into one. This is just how the Lord showed it to me many years ago, and I've just stayed with it, okay? The first fear that people deal with that we need to be delivered from is a fear of lack. Fear of lack. Meaning what? Fear that we won't have enough. And a fear of lack really has nothing to do with how much you have or don't have. You can actually have a lot, a lot of money and still have a fear of lack. Am I right about it? Okay. But notice how a fear of lack, fear of not having enough, how that causes us to live selfishly and, and, and you know, as opposed to how we're supposed to, as, as opposed to how God created us to live, and that's generously. Second fear is a fear of rejection. I mean, that's a huge one right there. Fear of rejection. Consistently now for many, 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 many years, the most common fear that, that people talk about has to do with the fear of getting up in front of people and speaking. So much so that we've even come up with these different little sayings, right? Um, how about this one? Uh, before you get up in front of people and speak, somebody is liable to tell you, well, if they kill you, they're not going to eat you. So what's the thought here? The thought here is this, this could actually end in my death, but at least the people I die in front of and fail miserably in front of, they won't eat me. Anybody ever heard that? Am I the only one? You're, have you ever heard that? Some, I see some people nod. I see some people going like, what planet did you just come from, Pastor Mark? Okay. <clears throat> it's not going to kill you, and if it does kill you, they're not going to eat you, right? This, it's one thing that, that people are the, are the most terrified of is getting up in front of people and speaking. Am I the only person that doesn't think that's a coincidence? Because, because, because God wants you to speak to people. Fear of rejection. Fear of failure. So if we're afraid of being rejected, we're not going to 
get out and try to connect with people or love people. If we're afraid to fail, we're not going to try to do things. Then you just got the whole fear of the unknown. You know, don't know what this might happen, that might happen. What's the proverb, what's the lazy man says, there's a line in the streets. In other words, I can't get up and go to work today. Line might, you know, it's just, in other words, just, you, know, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, fear of the unknown. And then what I call the granddaddy of them all is the fear of death. Now, <clears throat> this is how the Lord showed me to teach it, and I'm just going to show it to you the way he showed it to me, okay? If you think of these five fears as five fingers on a hand, with the fear of death being the thumb, because you know, as you as you grip something, the 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 thumb, the fear of death, is what really undergirds. Let, let, let me give you an example, okay? People say I'm afraid of flying. I'm afraid of heights. No, no you're not. You're afraid of crashing. You follow what I'm saying? You're afraid of falling and dying. I'm, I'm afraid to fly. No, no, no. You, flying's fun. It's the crashing part that you're not interested in, that you're afraid of. Right? You, you see what I'm saying? So at the root of a fear of lack, because we don't have enough, we might actually not make it. And if, and if enough people reject us, and if we fail enough, and you never know what's going to happen. And, so undergirding, underpinning, or the thumb on the, on the grip of fear is ultimately this, this fear of death. And so that's why in Hebrews 2, it says that Jesus has done away with the fear of death. And the more our minds are renewed to our freedom from the fear of death, the grip of these other fears is released from us as well. Did Father God have anything to say about our provision? Did Jesus have anything to say about our provision? Did he say anything about our acceptance? Did he have anything to say about our victory and success? Did he have anything to say about things that we don't know? How about I've gone before you? How about I've declared the outcome from the beginning? How about I will show you things to come? How about I will never leave you nor forsake you, no matter what comes? You see, he has provided, even when it comes to death, he fills my soul with laughter because I'm not going to die. If I don't go in the rapture, one day when I have been satisfied with long life, I will step out of this earthly tent. And to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Amen? You ask how many people are so afraid of dying that they don't live. That's what the devil's trying to get us to do by using fear to intimidate us. Praise God. All right. Did you get anything out of this tonight? Amen. We, we kind of covered it rather quickly. There's a lot that we haven't said yet about faith and believing, and I'm not sure that we will say it. Um, I want to try to wrap this section up next time I'm with you so we can move on to our next section. But anyway, the Lord will show us. Will you just be in faith with me and, and pray and, and the Holy Spirit will lead us?
because there were things tonight that were in the notes that I felt like to skip over, and there were other things that were not in the notes that I felt like the Lord prompted me to say. And so that's ultimately, he knows who's listening or who will listen later. Amen. And so that's, that's what we want more than anything to be led by the Spirit, okay? I mean, let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you for these men and women. Thank you, Father, for helping us, Lord, recognize how powerful our thoughts are, how powerful our agreements are, how powerful what we believe and things that we believe. And ultimately, Father, our faith in what you've said and what you have done. Lord, faith is, is not us trying to get you to do something uh, for us. Faith is us responding to what you've already done for us. Lord, what you've already said to us, what you've already put in place, Lord, for us to reach out and lay hold of. And so thank you, Father, tonight that fear will not, fear will not prevent us, Lord, from doing what you've called and created us to do. And by faith, Lord, we will rise above and we will overcome. And I thank you, Lord, tonight for your blessing and your prosperity and your promotion and your protection upon every person listening to me now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So one more time, let me remind you, no class on the 18th, we'll meet again on the 25th. Know that you love. Amen.